Blog Talk Radio. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Vince Young scores. All the dreams, all the hopes for the national championship come down to this play. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks. Under pressure. He'll tuck it in and run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Vince Young has given the Longhorns the lead with 19 seconds to play in the game. This is an incredible individual effort for Vince Young. How about this play? Trying to get a receiver open in the end zone. Gets pressure. Feels it. Sees the corner of the end zone, and how about another walk-in touchdown for Vince Young? All right, Longhorn Nation, reliving some memories of some long time ago days, it seems, as we're talking about Texas football, Vince Young, and and I've got, and I had a special reason tonight that I opened the show with that. Um, There's lots of points I want want to make tonight, and we're going to get into that in a segment, and um, um, some of it's going to be really exciting. Some of it's going to probably make some people mad, and some people are probably going to agree with me. Um, but um, I had my reasons there. We're going to replay that clip probably again here in a minute. Uh, but, again, welcome back to the Orange Report. We took the buy last week. Um, um, I needed a buy just for the mere reason of two weeks traveling to Austin and a week to California. Um, I was literally physically and mentally spent um last wednesday um i didn't didn't even think i could pull it together for an hour so we took the bye week um um, and after the cow the cow debacle um i I think everybody needed a week to regroup so we're back in the saddle i'm excited big 12 conference play starts this week um you know i guess the, the, the positives matt um Coming out, had everybody said before the season that we would go go to Oklahoma State two and one. Most people would have been happy with that. Um, I would say I'm lukewarm happy, um, and I'll get into that. I've got some reasons for that as well. But uh, with that said, how's it going tonight up in Fort Worth? It's going great. I also needed the bye week. Uh, unfortunately, I had to travel for work during the bye week, so I'm looking forward to this Saturday, most likely uh, staying at home or staying in town at least, uh, to watch a little football and recharge the batteries for the rest of the season. Yeah, in just a few minutes, um, we're going to have Cade Webb, site manager for the CowboyRideFree.com site, covers the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Um, our good friend who we've had on several times um, in the past over there, Robert Wetzel, um, is doing what you normally do, Matt. He is on the road tonight and couldn't join us, so he got – um, Cade um, got me hooked up with Cade over there from the Cowboy Rides free site, and he'll be joining us in just a couple minutes. Um, before he gets on, I'll kind of give our listeners a rundown of what we're going to do tonight. Obviously, we're going to talk to Cade a few minutes, talk about the Oklahoma State-Texas game. Uh, we're going to kind of recap the Cal game, talk about a few good things and probably a lot of bad things. Um, then we're going to talk about um, something that probably uh, Matt doesn't want to talk about, but we're, we're going to talk about um, what makes a good coach, what makes a bad coach, and are we on the right path, or are we not on the right path, and we're just going to have an honest discussion 
and um, you know, and, and, and see and, and see what it goes. I'm actually curious. I've got some pretty tough questions for Matt. So Matt, you don't know it yet, but you're getting ready to be uh, under the spotlight because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring be it on. some questions. Yeah, so I, I figured you would bring some some levity, um, you know, to to the discussion. Um, so we're gonna jump into that. We're gonna do our first four in tonight. Um, um, we're gonna have to talk about Les Miles. Um, I'm, a, I'm I've always been a Les Miles fan. Um, obviously, his um, reign at the the helm of LSU Tigers ended this week, so we'll talk about that. What effects uh, ramifications for, does Texas have on that? You know, I think we're going to see more and more in that as the weeks go by. You know, it's, it's third week in the season, and and, and 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 the coaching gauntlet is is is, is falling already, and there's probably going to be some more. So we'll talk about some other coaches on the hot seat. You know, obviously Helton at USC is probably about done. Um, Malzahn at Auburn's probably. Um, um, another loss or two away from getting the same fate. So, um, what does all these um, uh, openings or potential openings does it affect Texas? Does Texas stay the course? I know we've got nine games left, but um, I've kind of pulled together some interesting data um, that we're going to talk about. And, and I, like I said, I don't want to I don't want to ruin that segment, but I'm kind of giving y'all a heads up. You definitely want to tune in and hear this tonight because I think it's going to be some pretty informative stuff and it's going to be pretty good. And um, I'm going to do my best not to make it a negative segment, uh, but we're just going to have an open discussion. I mean, you know, we're in year three with Coach Strong, year seven of not being very good. It's been since 2009. Um, are we truly headed in the right direction? I mean, that's what we're going to talk about. So with that said, uh, looks like Cade is on the line. So we're <laughs> going to definitely get him. So Cade, uh, welcome to the Orange Report. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm uh, here. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, we're good to have you. You probably weren't on a minute ago. I, I was um, introducing you, um, but I'll do it again. This is Kate Webb, site manager at the Cowboy Rides for Free Site. Our good friend over there, Robert Wetzel, who we've had on, oh, man, so many times on the show. We've actually become pretty good friends with him. He was on the on the road this week, so um, he hooked us up, and I'm really I'm, I'm really appreciating doing that. And, and, and you're pitch hitting tonight, and not only your pitch hitting, we've got the big dog. we got the site manager on. So I'll tell Robert this, but I think we may have come out in the better end tonight. <laughs> well, I appreciate the kind words. Robert knows what he's talking about too, though. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on. Well, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, Big 12 play starts. Um, you know, it's, it's a new season for everybody. Y'all started last week. So uh, I, I hate to use the word it's a must win, but obviously it is a must win for Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State came into the season with high hopes, a lot of people returning. Uh, I hate to even call the Central Michigan uh, game a loss, but it is a loss, even though, you know, it was kind of a rookie doing. I, I mean, I even agree with that. Um, y'all had Baylor last week. So, I guess the first words I'm going to start is, is, what's the pulse of the Oklahoma State um, um, fans out there? Is, 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 is they, are they a little ramped up? And, and then I guess my second part of that, uh, I guess um, – Y'all's, y'all's Red McCombs, a.k.a. Um, T-Bone Pickens, um, put a lot on the table yesterday. I saw some of your tweets, so I'll let you touch on that as well. But I guess what's the pulse of the um, fan base right now? Well, yeah, and, and I'll touch on that too. I've got a lot to say about the uh, Boone Pickens saga <laughs> with Mike Gundy. But, the, uh, you know, I, I would consider the pulse to be as optimistic as you can be as a fan base collectively for a two and two football team, you know, like you said, the central Michigan game is a loss. You know, I hate, we hate to call it that because we all saw what happened. We know, 
Oklahoma State won that football game, but they lost. And it looks the same in, in the win-loss column, you know. At the end of the season, you know, when people are looking at that kind of stuff, it looks like a loss. And then last weekend against Baylor, I thought that was one of the best games Oklahoma State's played in the last couple of years. And I'm not saying that like – I'm saying that like as a football fan – you know, they dominated the time of possession. Um, they actually set a school record for time of possession in that football game um, and executed a game plan that gave them an opportunity to win late in the football game. And, you know, they uh, they went into the Baylor 25 four times and came away with three points on four trips. And that's just not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done against Iowa State or KU either. So, um, you know, the opportunities are there for Oklahoma State. The talent is certainly there. Um, and there's there's a lot of depth with this football team. So, and I think people see that. You know, I think Oklahoma State fans see that, and you know, Big Twelve writers see that, and they see how close they are. Um, but until they're able to run the ball consistently, um, I, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to take that next step. But they, you know, like they ran for over 200 yards last weekend, which was the first time in a long time. So they're on their way up, and I I, I would imagine that that's why um, people are so optimistic for a two-and-two football team. Now, to touch on the Boone Pickens and Mike Gundy thing, this is a, you know, this is a loaded um, topic here. This has been like a, a five-year deal with the two. This is a, another edition of the same old song and dance between the two. Boone Pickens you know, has donated over half a billion dollars to the university. I mean, he's, he's Oklahoma State's Jerry Jones, I mean, and he, he yeah. knows it. And he's really not afraid to speak his mind um, because he's done this before. You know, in 2014, Oklahoma State was um, five and six headed into the OU Oklahoma State game, and Boone Pickens was like publicly at a at an alumni event was talking down on Mike Gundy. You know, like you know, I, I don't know exactly what he said, but you 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 just know that there's tension there, and it seems like every time. Oklahoma State starts to wobble just a little bit. Pickens is right. starting to, you know, rally up the troops. And it's not like, you know, Oklahoma State – Oklahoma State should be 3-1 and one right now. But they have every opportunity to be 4-0. Oh. So it's just it's, – um, it's very confusing, and it makes you wonder. You know, if Boone Pickens is so upset with Mike Gundy, you know, Gundy has brought this program to where it's never, ever been before. If he's so upset with Mike Gundy, what does he want? You know, does he want uh, Nick Saban – does he want Urban Meyer? Because he's not going to get that, you know. You don't just win national championships at Oklahoma State. And I, I'm confused as to what he expects um, and how he thinks he can get it. And I just – I want to know, like, why this keeps happening. And, you know, I, I good on Mike Gundy for not letting it get to him because um, he never addresses this in public. It's just a right. – you know, like I said, it's the same old song and dance. Well, yeah, Gundy, Gundy's 49. He's a man, so you don't have to address it. So, yeah. <laughs> no, not anymore. He, that's not, not anymore. That's, uh, yeah, no, exactly. I, I, and and it, I appreciate, you know, him not doing that. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's got bigger things to worry about, and this is just incredibly poor timing on Boone Pickens' part, you know, with Texas coming to town. Texas is on their way yeah. back. They're a tough out, and he's got to worry about this now too. Yeah, and I, I don't just say this because you're, you're, you're – uh, you're on my show, uh, but I mean, you, my co-host Matt will will verify this, or if you tweet it out, they'll tell you. I'm, I'm I am not a Big Twelve homer. Um, I um, I mean, I actually could care less if every team in the Big Twelve loses every week. I've been pretty consistent for that for years. I just it just sure. doesn't. I don't go either way. But but I will. My point is, I will say this: 
if there is another fan base or team in the Big 12 that, that I respect and like and I like their coach, I, it, it is Oklahoma State. I mean, we always uh, – I know a lot of Oklahoma State people. Um, you know, we bandied back and forth on Twitter, you know, different things sure. like that. But, but, but as far as a, a complete fan base, I actually have a lot of respect for Oklahoma State fans. I like Mike Gundy. I think he's done a great job there. And I can't say that about anybody else in the, in the Big 12. I, I, I won't. I, I really could care less about any of them. Um, but, I, but I really do mean that. But, but let's, um, let's go ahead and jump into some football talk. Obviously, you know, Oklahoma State, I don't remember the exact numbers. I looked at them yesterday. I don't know. I think we're about 115th or 111th in, in passing. Y'all are right there in passing defense. Um, um, I mean, what, what do you think is going to happen in this game? I know Rudolph, I mean, he's on the throw for 12,000 yards on us. But how do you see uh, Oklahoma <laughs> offense attacking our defense, which right now obviously is not very good. And after, you know, you know, obviously you saw the Cal game. We've got some work to do on defense. So I don't think yeah. we're going to have to run the ball. But what do you expect? Well, no, that's, that's you, you kind of just – I don't expect Oklahoma State to have a need to run the football. You know, I, I'm glad this game is at home for Oklahoma State, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, it's actually funny. The last, like, eight winners of this game have been the away team. So, I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But when you're talking about, you know, X's and O's, how these teams stack up, I I look at, you know, you know I usually I like to say football games are won in the trenches. I don't see that in this game. You know, Oklahoma State's defensive line will be able to match up with Texas's offensive line, especially with the loss of Kent Perkins. Uh, with Texas, he's suspended this week, I believe, and uh, it yeah. should be good. That's 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 Oklahoma State's deepest um, and most talented group by far. But when you look at it on the offensive side of the ball, you saw what Cal was able to do um, to the Texas secondary. And you know, Cal they have a good quarterback in Davis Webb, but I don't think Davis Webb is to the caliber of Mason Rudolph. And I certainly don't think that the Cal wide receivers are to the level of you know guys like James Washington. Jawan Seals and Jalen McCluskey, you know, the Oklahoma State wide receiving core is loaded this season. And, you know, if one guy doesn't step up, another guy does. And we've seen it all season so far. Um, and I, I, you know, I saw something from Sherrod Evans. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's uh, mm-hmm. one of Texas cornerbacks. He was um, predicting that, you know, we know what James Washington, we know the routes that he's going to run. We know all this. And I just, I, you know, I, I expect a very prolific passing attack in this game. Um, I expect Oklahoma State to use the pass to set up the run, rather where in the Baylor game they used the run to set up the pass. Um, I expect right. Rudolph to sling it 40-plus times without a doubt. Yeah. Matt, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I was, you know, uh, I know you guys are one game ahead of us having played a conference game already, but – since, uh, you know, we're getting ready to move into October, I always look at college football kind of in three seasons. So we're through September. Uh, we're into, you know, second, third of the season. So give us just, an, you know, from your viewpoint, having watched the first four games, um, your thoughts on, you know, kind of what you're excited about about the team for the rest of the year and then maybe something that's keeping you up at night as you uh, think about the rest of the season. <laughs> Uh, well, I just inherently Oklahoma State football keeps me up at night, so I could answer that in, a, in many different ways. Um, but uh, no, you know, I love the fact that Oklahoma State has a quarterback in Mason Rudolph. Um, the guy, you know, he's he's a true junior. He lost his redshirt year, his freshman year, um, but he's got a wealth of experience and he's really good. He's starting to really come around. 
Um, last weekend against Baylor, I would argue, was one of his most complete games. He was able to rush for around 50 yards, which, you know, we just don't see that very often with him. Um, and he, he was able to tuck the ball and run. You know, when you add a dimension like that, when you add a, you know, you send four wide receivers out and your quarterback is athletic enough to make a play on the ground, I really like that. But I also think that he is, you know, he had trouble early in the season with missing some short to intermediate throws. Um, but he's really come around on that, and it seems like he's got a grip of this football team. It looks like from an outsider's perspective that he knows that this is his football team, and he's a leader, and that, that's very important. And you could tell with the way they played Baylor on the road. You know, Baylor's got a lot going on right now, but they're still good. They're still very talented. Um, and you saw the way that, you know, he was able to kind of rally the troops and keep them in that game, even when, you know, you're turning the ball over four times inside the Baylor 25. Um, and that will lead me into what keeps me up at night is turnovers. You know, Oklahoma State um, against Pittsburgh, you know, they were up 28 to – I'm sorry, they were up 24 to 10 with about two minutes left in the second quarter, and they were driving on Pittsburgh, um, and they fumbled the ball at midfield and gave up a home run on the next – gave up like a home run touchdown pass on the next play – um, and brought it to 24-17 and did the same thing coming out of halftime where, you know, you turn the ball over and you give it right back and they score. You know, they they had a chance to put it up 31-10 to and just bury them right there. But instead, they turned the ball over twice, you know, and they were they were killers. Like, just, just points where you cannot turn the ball over, and they did. Um, and, you know, their fumbles, their interceptions, it's all of that. Um, it's taking care of the football. And then last weekend against Baylor – uh, Oklahoma State has the ball on the Baylor 10-yard line, and they uh, they get all the way down to the one in the fourth quarter, and you're down three, and they fumble the football on the Baylor one. They're about to take the lead. Um, that's That was the one play that I was looking at this last week that really kind of chapped me a little bit because Oklahoma State probably could have won that football game, um, but they just turned the ball over too many times. And, you know, when you turn the ball over four times to a team like Baylor, you give that offense four extra possessions, it never ends well, and it wouldn't end well for anybody. Well, well, obviously your defense is going to be facing a far different um, Texas offense than, than you know we've we've been able to put on the field the last two years. We've no actually doubt. moved no into doubt. the modern age of foot, modern age of football now. So <laughs> it, it took us about five years to Welcome figure it out. Welcome to the show. But I think we yeah I think we've actually got an offense now. So how do you think the um, Oklahoma State defense is going to attack this new um, Sterling Gilbert offense? Well, you know, I, we had a column go up by one of our writers this week, and he actually compared the Texas offense to the Baylor offense. And the fact uh-huh. that these two games are back-to-back, you know, you look at exactly. how did Baylor beat Oklahoma State last week. They beat them with the home run play. They had pass, touchdown passes of 89 yards, 70 yards, 38 yards, and 38 yards. It was the big play. So limiting the big play is the key, and I know Texas likes to hit that home run ball because Shane Bouchel, I would argue, his best trait is throwing the deep ball. It looks, you know, like he's done it forever. Um, but looking at it like the way it used to be and how the, how Texas has come like this season, it, it should be a completely different outlook on this team. I think I would expect to see a game plan very similar to what Oklahoma State did on defense against Baylor to what they'll do against Texas. Um, But I don't think Texas, you know, they've got the athletes um, in the backfield for sure with Deontay Foreman and uh, Chris Warren. But they don't, in my opinion at least, their wide receivers aren't as good or aren't as fast 
as those Baylor wide receivers. So that should help Oklahoma State a little bit. But that offense is hard to stop. You know, they, they put up – did they put up over 500 on Cal? I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, um, I was right. But Cal – yeah. Yeah, they they had a good they had a good showing on offense. So, the the secondary for Oklahoma State will certainly have their hands full. They uh they they gave up a lot of yards, but you know maybe they'll have a chip on their shoulder. I'm sure they will. They're they're far too experienced to play uh, the way they did on Saturday, um, and they're far too experienced to do it again. Well, before I put you on the spot and ask for a, a game prediction, um, I always ask people <laughs> this when I have them on because it's, it's, it can't never this talk never seems to go away. And my co-host Matt. Um, actually hates expansion talk, but um, I mean, what are your thoughts on the, on the Big Twelve in the future? Now, um, I mean, are y'all, you know, is is OU and and, and Oklahoma State a divorce coming like A and M and Texas did? I mean, just how do you see all this playing out three, four, five, eight years down the line? Um, that's that's a great question. Um, I have written in the past that I would be perfectly fine with not playing OU ever again simply because it seems like no matter how good Oklahoma State is, they always find a way to lose to OU. I mean, you know, last year yeah. OU was just flat out better. But for the past four seasons, you know, OU's beaten Oklahoma State on the fourth down in double overtime. They've beaten them right. on a 30-yard touchdown pass with 30 seconds left. So, personally, I would be fine never playing OU ever again. But I, I know simply from a business standpoint and a college football, you know, conference standpoint, that won't happen. I don't think Oklahoma State can afford to go elsewhere. Um, I feel like Oklahoma State will do whatever they can to attach themselves to the hip of OU. You know, and, and I think you know, that's all depending on can Oklahoma State win a couple Big 12 titles in the next few years. They've certainly, they're certainly starting to stockpile talent, um, and they've mm-hmm. got a good quarterback. So if they can figure out a way to start being competitive like on a national scale again, which they were last year, but if you can start winning the Big 12 and you can start putting yourself in the college football playoff in that conversation, maybe, you know, maybe the Pac-12 comes calling. Maybe the ACC comes calling. And maybe OU decides to go to the SEC. Or maybe they decide to go, you know, who knows what. You know, Texas, in my opinion, is the only team in the conference that could go independent if they wanted to. Um, and I think they'd succeed fairly well at it. But in terms of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State – for the time being, I don't see how one can survive without the other, um, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, and honestly, your independent deal, uh, I've thought about that a lot, and um, that just doesn't that just doesn't do a whole lot for me personally. I, I'm not a, I wouldn't be a fan of that. Um, you know, we were we were me and my co-host Matt were sitting in um, out in Berkeley last um, um, two weeks ago, I guess now. And I was sitting there having a conversation about expansion, and I had um, I basically talked myself into the ACC. And the more I, the more I've looked at it, <laughs> uh, if, 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 if the Big Twelve is going to break up, the ACC is, is my first choice. I, I think it, you know, with, with Clemson, Florida State, Duke, and North Carolina, the basketball, I just think it would be. And then academically, it matches up. So you know, that's just my preference. But you know, it, it, you know, who, who knows where all this is going to go? But I just don't think the I just don't think the expansion talk's going to go away, and I wish it would. I just I just wish something would happen one way or the other because it does get kind of old talking about it. But you know, it seems to be a hot topic every day. Well, yeah, and it kind of makes you know when when the Big Twelve commissioners and all that when those guys start flip flopping and they start talking about it publicly, yeah. it just makes the whole conference look bad. Right now, in my opinion, yeah. the Big Twelve is the laughing stock of college football simply because of its leadership. The, the football yeah. right now at least isn't where it could be 
Um, and but that's not why they're the laughing stock of college football. It's because their leadership, you know, in the front office and everywhere else, they're making the whole conference look bad. I mean, you just look around on Twitter, you know, with all this expansion yeah. talk, people are just bashing the Big 12, and deservedly so. You know, I wish they'd make a decision or just shut up about it, because if it's not going to happen, let's not talk about it anymore. Well, yeah, that's the, that's my point exactly. I mean, if you decided that we're just doing this for show to, to for whatever reason, you're just making yourself look completely stupid. Well, all right, right. Well, go ahead and give me your sport. Go ahead and give me your score prediction. Um, how's this game going to end? Okay, you're probably not going to like this, um, but no, no, I... I, no, I <laughs> You know, I expect uh, I expect Oklahoma State to, you know, they should have a chip on their shoulder for this game. They've got a lot riding on this one game, and I think where it truly matters, you know, in this game is, you know, can Texas's secondary contain the Oklahoma State wide receivers? And when I start looking at who Oklahoma State has on the outside compared to who the, who Texas has lining up on the opposite side of them. I do think it's a big-time mismatch that Oklahoma State can exploit. And with a quarterback like Mason Rudolph, they're going to air out the football. Um, And I I expect a high-scoring game, but I expect Oklahoma State to make enough stops down the stretch. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and take Oklahoma State 45, uh, Texas 28. I just don't see how – you know, because Oklahoma State's team speed is very, very good. So I would expect Texas to be able to run the ball downhill, but – Chunk yardage, you know, is is good, but it's not going to keep Texas up with this football team. Um, if they if Texas is hitting the home run ball and they're they're throwing the ball deep and it's working, then I'm going to wobble on this big time. Um, but I just don't see that happening. I think Oklahoma State's speed and their talent is in their secondary right now, and that secondary should be pissed off about how they played against Baylor. So right now, I'll take Oklahoma State 45, Texas 28. And a lot of that's also because this game's at home. If it's on the road, uh, this game's much closer. But because it's in Stillwater, um, I expect Oklahoma State to take care of business. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all your points are um, are valid. And, um, you know, if it, if, it, if it plays out like that, um, whew, man, I, um, Strong's um, rear end will, will, will be on fire as he gets back to Austin. And I'm sure, I mean, he, I'm sure he knows that. So yeah. that's kind of if, – if, if this game goes differently – um, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that Charlie Strong will start to pull out all the stops, but yeah, you're exactly right. If, if this does, if this does go that way, Charlie Strong may be, uh, his butt may be starting to get a little bit hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's going to be the, our second uh, segment of our, of our show talking about some different scenarios. Well, Kate, I really appreciate you coming on, man. That was excellent stuff. We'll definitely do it again sometime. Um, I always do an end of season, um, bowl, um, podcast for all the teams in the Big 12, so don't be surprised if you get another email from me, man. I really appreciate you. All right. No, I appreciate y'all. Thanks for the opportunity. It was good talking to y'all. All All right. Thank you. All right. Longhorn Nation, that's Cade Webb with the Cowboy Rides for Free site. We really appreciate him coming on. Good stuff. Um, Matt, I think we can add him to our list of excellent um, guests, um, as always. Yes, absolutely. That was good stuff. Very good insight. Well, before we before we jump into uh, what I what I deem the, the most important part of the show, let's let's go ahead and recap Cal a little bit. Um, I guess we were on about the ninth or tenth row. We got to see it firsthand, and I guess the, the you know I don't want to you know beat it up too much, but 
a couple things that, that just really stood out to me um, was a couple things. Obviously, the, the, the turnovers hurt. When we had, you know, we were up 17-7, had the ball driving, you know, um, you know, we go down and score there and go 24-7. Um, man, we were close to putting the game away there, so we let that get away. And then, obviously, the other, the other turnover, Shane Bichelle gets hurt. Obviously, you know, that affected us. He wasn't the same player afterwards. And, and, and I have to criticize somewhat the, the offensive play calling. Um, I think we got a little too cute. Um, I know that Cal was stacking the line. We had to throw it a few times to keep them honest. Sometimes they had eight or nine um, people in the box. But, but when a team knows you're going to run and you still have over 300 yards rushing, um, I think you just line up and run it every single time and pick up three or four yards and move the chains. And, and if they just stop what you do, then you just, you just go home with the loss. I, I just don't think we played to our strengths. I don't know if, I, I didn't know if Sterling got cute or, or what happened. Um, but I, I think that fourth quarter, man, when we were still right there, we should have just, just ran the damn ball every single time. Um, and even and maybe not even go with Shane. Just put put the swoops in there and let him hand it off on zone read or run the 18-wheeler package. And if they stuff it and win the game, hey, uh, I, I just think we got a little too cute. Um, second thing that I saw, that we are still not getting any pressure from the first um, – the front four or even when we rush five. Um which is really leaving the, uh, the secondary vulnerable. I mean, they're not covering very good. They're missing assignments. I mean, you remember the one play where we were, Cal was on about a 25, 35-yard line. They had three receivers to the left. I called the in and the out. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i no defensive coordinator, but I knew what was – I mean, I was sitting there calling Cal plays for the whole second half, and I was right about 90% of the time. So, uh, communication problems. Um, now, with that said, I did see some positives again. Hager. Uh, was wrecking shot and laying the wood to people, um, which is great. I saw some plays, too. He was too aggressive and, and threw himself out of the play. And then, again, Malcolm Roach is just going to be an outstanding player, and I think you're going to see them both, both on the field uh, a whole bunch. So that's just kind of my quick recap uh, of the Cal game. It was a dismal performance, um, and I'll, I'll finish up another points, but I want to let you give your quick recap. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, re- agree with both of those. I think going into the year, we knew the pass rush was going to be a problem. Um, so I'm not as concerned that we're not getting pressure. I think the disappointing thing is last year we didn't have much pass rush either, and the secondary really saved our bacon. Uh, they were outstanding for being mostly freshmen. Uh, and, you know, it was definitely a, a slide backwards against Cal. Um, there was obviously blown coverages. Uh, there's obviously it's been – you know, beat to death on message boards about what was the actual cause. Was it the safeties? Was it the cornerbacks? Was it this or that? I mean, I think the answer is all of the above. It was just, there was a failure somewhere at all times. And sometimes maybe it was a safety, but a lot of times it was the cornerbacks not knowing where to be or not, or looking back to the ball and not playing coverage. Um, so they, it felt like they just got a little bit lost. And then the crazy thing is it's just one of those days, I think, because, the defense settled down, started to do a good job in the third quarter, and then that's when, like you said, our offensive play calling, <clears throat> I thought, got a little away from where we should have been. My my take on it was I didn't think Cal could stop us even even loading up the box. Um, and yeah. it's kind of weird. You know, I know this offense is based on numbers, and you take what the defense gives you, but in a certain sense when you're playing a team like Cal who doesn't have any interest in tackling, uh, well, I mean, I don't know that having eight guys in the box should defer, deter you from running the football until they stop. I mean, I, 
I can't remember. Uh, I haven't watched the replay, but I don't recall us being stopped behind the line of scrimmage maybe even a single time in that game. Um, and so it's not like they were blowing us up. You know, if they get eight in the box and they're stuffing the run, uh, well, then, of course, you've got to go try to soften it up. But I thought we could run whenever we wanted, and we got a little away from that right when the defense started to figure it out. And then I think by the fourth quarter, it just kind of fell apart. Uh, our opportunities were that we had were, were blown, and so then, you know, you take the medicine you get in the fourth quarter. But, yeah, disappointing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm optimistic just in the fact that secondary has not been a, a major problem. I mean, our pass defense as a whole has been bad, but pretty much everyone's pass defense in the Big 12 is going to be bad statistically because you're facing teams that just throw it like crazy. I mean, just having Texas Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Cal on your schedule is going to mean your pass defense is going to look pretty shitty in the in the defensive uh, passing yards rankings. Uh, but last year we did a pretty good job against most teams um, for the most part. And, you know, we played Cal last year, and Goff beat us by making amazing throws. I thought Webb's throws that he had to make, although he definitely had a good game and made some good throws, he also had a lot of easy ones, little throws that shouldn't have been that easy. Uh, and like you said, the numbers game started working for them where, you know, we either weren't lined up right or didn't know what we were doing, and they were able to just kind of pick us apart, uh, especially in that fourth quarter. So, uh, you know, I I don't know what to make of it, really. Like I said, defensive line, not surprised at all. It's going to be a problem all year. Uh, the expectation, though, was that the safety or the secondary would really take a step forward, and that's going to be the key the rest of the way. Uh, that hopefully it turns out that was just an anomaly, but if it's going to be like that all year, uh, we're going to have some problems. Yeah, I mean, that, that just that leaves us, you know, right in. You know, um, um, I guess this segment where I'm going to kind of put you on the on the hot spot a little bit is, you know, the the, the thing that it's really starting to concern me, and, and, I, and I really think it's a legitimate concern. I, I mean, other people may. I mean, I, I, I get that Strong was left a poor roster. I get that he needed to recruit his players. I get that we're young. I mean, I, 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 I get that. I've even broke down the numbers of what's left from the Mac Brown era, the offensive line that we lost. I get all that. The, the, the trend or the problem I'm seeing is it's one thing last year losing to TCU, who a lot of people pegged to potentially be a playoff team. Yeah, I didn't like getting, being down 50-something enough. nothing. We weren't competitive. That's a different conversation. But going into that game, you kind of knew TCU was the better team. So you kind of expect a loss. You're just kind of hoping – that you see some pauses and maybe they'll make some mistakes and you'll steal the game. But you really don't have an expectation that you're going to win. Um, last year going up to Notre Dame, kind of the same thing. Notre Dame had a team probably in the playoffs if they don't if they don't have injuries. So you know you're not probably going to go to Notre Dame with this second-year team and win. Um, so you expect that. But, but the trend is starting that, that we're losing, like, the Iowa State 24 nothing, uh, the Cows. Um, we're start, We're losing the teams, even in a rebuild, that we shouldn't lose to. Um, unprepared, out-coached, players out of position. Third year, some of these people, we've been running the same defense. We didn't change defense this year. So that's a, that's a growing concern for me, and I, and, 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 and I, don't, I really don't know what to say about it because it, 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 it's, it's happening more. So my point is I'm starting to get concerned is even if strong – completely fills up his law, roster with the people he wants. He continues to recruit like he's doing. 
Um, I don't know if he's a championship caliber coach. He may be capped out at eight, nine, ten wins. I mean, because we're we're gonna lose a game or two every year because of the 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 the, the, the in-game management, uh, clock management, not getting lined up, not being prepared, and, and so I've, I've got real concerns there. If he is the right answer um, long term, so my first question for you is. I know we've got nine games left. I, I understand all that. But what is a reasonable time? How do you know when it's time? What are the signs that, that you don't have the right coach? Are there? When, when is, in other words, how long do you let it go? Um, is it three years, four years, five? Is it a magic number? Wins, losses? Is it an eyeball test? So in your opinion, how do you know when you know? Well, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. – I, I think – there's some traps you can fall into. One is overcorrecting. You know, if you're driving down the highway, if you're looking at the horizon, you're generally going to go in a straight line. If you're looking at the next dotted line in front of you, you're going to be oversteering the entire way. And I feel like I, I, you know, only looking at the Cal game, uh, yeah, I know there's been, I mean, first of all, I would say the first year, I just don't even count any of that. The second year, I would say the Iowa state game still sticks out. So I'm with you on that, but, I kind of, I mean, that's what makes this game to me fascinating coming up is that not only is Texas doing that uh, soul searching and needing a big win, but so is the opponent on the other side of the field. They're in almost the exact same situation as we are. So you know that you're going to get their absolute best. Um, so we got to see, uh, you know, a massive uh, improvement. And I, I just, when I go back and look at it, I feel like, you know, again, yeah, you can put this on the coaches, uh, but I feel like that was more of an anomaly than a, sign of something bigger that's wrong with the coaching or, or anything like that. I felt like, I mean, guys are just not making plays. And, yes, again, you can always point back to the coaches, but Shrod Evans, you know, taking the wrong receiver on man coverage just doesn't make any sense yeah. at all. You know, stuff like that is just a brain fart. And it's a thing in college football. They're going on that damn first road game for almost every team, unless you are a top five team going into the season. And even then, sometimes it gets you. But – that there's just some boogeymen that come out when you go on those on that first road trip every year. Uh, and it started to happen. And the other thing too, is, you know, I think what we see with a, a team that's dying for success or a program that's dying for success is, you know, I've said after the Notre Dame game, and maybe that's the worst thing that could happen to us because uh, we spent the whole week patting ourselves on the back for that win. Now you look at Notre Dame, uh, how much of a big win was that? I mean, it was great to get it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the hell out of it. But at the end of the year, that's not going to look anywhere near as impressive as it did uh, on on week one. Uh, So I think it's – I think what you've got to look for is just, you know, general general program incline. And that's what I don't think you can find out until all 12 games get played this year is – you know, are we on the road back? Because if we go into conference play and go uh, six and two, or uh, yeah, seven. What, what, I don't even remember how many damn teams are in this stupid conference anymore. Seven and two, and uh, close the season strong. Then you go back and you say, well, Cal is an anomaly. It's just growing pains of a young team, uh, and and we're not there. If you see the same problems going forward, uh, you know. Strong's got one strike, le- one match left in his book, and that's you know changing the defensive coordinator. But I, I kind of agree with him not making that change after Cal. I don't think, uh, I-, I think that whereas it had to happen after Watson, after the Notre Dame debacle, and it should have happened the year before. Uh, I don't think that there's enough quite there to to you know require a, a 
to panic. If Cal puts up 70 on us, then he's gone, obviously. But uh, I just feel like it was one of those games where, you know, everything just kind of happened. You rattle them off. You know, you, you get off schedule because you get through shell hurt and you do all these stupid things and the untimely turnovers and uh, things like that. And the wheels come off and they'll happen to, uh, to a lot of teams. So I think it's really what's key is how you react to that. Uh, they didn't look like they panicked on the coaching staff and hopefully that goes to the players because, and I, I feel really good about having a bye week going into Oklahoma state because, uh, you know, we've got two weeks to get ready for it. So I, I don't know really how you address when is the right time. I mean, there's times, sometimes coaches make it look easy, right? Uh, if you're inheriting a, a good roster and a coach is just a buffoon uh, and makes PR gaffes and in-game gaffes that are, you know, the laughing stock of national football, like Brady Hoke at Michigan, then that decision becomes very easy. Really the hardest part in being college football is when you are a blue blood that is in this, you know, this realm we're in right at this moment. Uh, You don't make a change off of it, but right now uh, we're in that middle ground where we think we should be better than we are. We're not quite as good yet, but we're getting better. So how do you make that decision to, to, to make, to, to pull a trigger? And my opinion is always, it's much better to, even if it hurts uh, or sets you back an extra year in your schedule for getting back to the top of the mountain, it's better off to uh, to wait than to, to overreact and pull the trigger too soon because uh, you do, no matter what, let's say Strong goes seven and five this year and enough people in the big money uh, suites decide that he's done uh, you're, you're sliding backwards next year. It doesn't matter. Maybe you have more wins next season, but you are sliding backwards in the grand scheme of things because now you're bringing in a new guy. you got a whole set of transfers that leave because they were strong guys. Uh, you've got a, a weakened recruiting class. And so even if you win nine the next year, long down the road, you may be setting yourself up for an even further uh, climb back to the top. Yeah, I think those are all all valid points. But, you know, here, here's, some, here's some things, and it doesn't mean, you know, the data is – the data is what it is. Um, but here's, here's you know, uh, the top ten we had today in, the, you know, the coaches of the USA Today poll, uh, coaches that are in their second or third year that are, that are in the top ten. Um, Louisville, um, obviously, third year with Petrino, top ten. Michigan in their second year with Harbaugh. U of H in their second year with Herman. Wisconsin in the top ten, their third year with Chris, and then obviously Washington third year with Peterson. So, um, you know, when you see these things, it, it just kind of frustrates you. I know it's not apples to apples, but the bottom line, they're in their second or third year. They're a top ten team as of this week's polls. Now, of course, they could all go on four-game losing streaks, and it could be different. So, I mean, I'm just telling you what, what, what where they are today. Something else I think. Yeah, I think, I think the only – I think the closest – I think it's – I mean, I know the whole country is in love with Washington right now. I would say that might be the closest parallel just yeah. because they were kind of a mess when Peterson got in there. Who was, uh, was it Stark, I think, was the coach before that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he had his own demons. Uh, he's a perfect example of a guy that, yeah, that wasn't going to work because, uh, you know, he, he had problem with the hooch. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with his early ouster at Washington. Um, but Peterson has moved that pretty quickly uh but i still think there's a long way to go with those guys and don't think they've really played anybody yet but yeah i mean i think it's something definitely to keep an eye on i think a lot of our fans just went haywire after the cal game a little bit which it's college football and that's what people do after a loss 
Um, but I think part of it also, I mean, Cal, yeah, they're not great, but these, these freaking offenses, man, you cannot, uh, you cannot turn the ball over against, <laughs> you can't turn the ball over on the road against high powered offenses. Like, uh, our buddy from Oak state just said earlier today, you give these offenses yeah. extra possessions. And, and that's the key thing going into this next game is the thing I'm still concerned about most with this defense. And what I want to see this year is, forcing turnovers we, we've got to start forcing forcing action and I feel like it I don't know if this is coaching or what but it feels like our guys are so preoccupied with defending these high-powered offenses that they're forgetting that defense can be on the offense as well so let's go knock yes. some heads and force some turnovers let's make something happen because the other thing too is we've seen it in Lubbock uh, with some of the Mac Brown teams and we've seen it with uh, other teams we've played is you get these high-powered offenses and you start forcing turnovers, they aren't so high-powered anymore because then you start bleeding that clock with that running game that we've got and things can get ugly really fast. So that's really what I've got my eye on these next few weeks is let's see that defense. I mean, it sucks to lose confidence like we did against Cal because they need to be a confident unit going into conference play. They need to start forcing turnovers. Yeah, it looked like to me that they they were so concerned – about making mistakes, getting lined up, doing this, doing that, they forgot to just play football. It was they became too rigid, and and then they were reacting instead of you know instead of you know just just playing the game. They were just very you know they weren't very proactive. So here's some here's some more numbers that I just find interesting that just we're gonna we're gonna track as the year goes on, and then maybe even next year. But coach, um, coaches that coaches that were fired um, in their third or fourth year. Ron Zook, 23 and 14. Uh, Charlie Weiss, 22 and 15. Will, Chump, Will Muschamp, 22 and 16. Brady Hope, 26 and 13. That's pretty strong. 26 and 13. Mike Shulett, we're going to visit Bama, 20 and 17. Dennis Franchone, 16 and 19, through three years at AM. Strong currently sits at 13 and 15. So it's just, just comparisons of what what other big-time programs have made a decision. So I think it's just something fair to, to, to when we get into November, December, uh, where we're at to revisit this. I'm just laying some ground. Well, I think, I think the problem with, that, with those numbers, though, is you've got to break them down by year because Brady Hoke had good numbers because he had a – he started yes. – he took a good program and ran it into the toilet. And I think if you look at some of those, it's not the total three-year win total that – sunk a disaster in year three or a disaster in year two and three taking a program that was okay because obviously they had made a change yeah. for some reason those guys didn't replace legends but uh well Francioni I guess was he remind me he replaced RC I think yeah he's a guy that came yeah. in next yeah so yeah. you know that pro that's a that's an even different kind of unique one that one was probably a little bit of a pre-Mac Brown Mac Brown because that program was definitely yeah. headed down and Francioni certainly did nothing to turn it around, and losing seventy-seven to nothing to OU. Uh, I don't care what his record had been. That was uh, that was when he was fired. So I think there's a well, it's it, certainly something to look at. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of factors that go into play as far as what what situation did they take over, and then where were they after three? So I'm with you. If we're four and eight after three years, well, or this year, then yeah, nobody's there. Ain't going to be an argument. Uh, I think that. That the real magic number to me is like seven and five because if you're seven yeah, and that's, five, that's where you go. Hmm, what are we doing? What do we do here? And that's it sucks for a program because that's a very tough decision. You really don't know which uh, 
which stone you're jumping to is actually the right one or if you should just stay put. Well, yeah, that's, that was, and then we're going to close this out and, and move on to the rest of the show. That's exactly what I have written here. I said the the the, the seven and five number is, is what makes it um, makes it tough. I mean, you know, you got the one loss, so that means you'd have to have four more losses in the Big Twelve. I mean, if you have one clunker and then maybe three fairly tight games, seven and five, the pendulum probably swings a little bit to. Yeah, let's give the year four so he has a complete roster. But if you're seven and five and you've had a fifty to seven, a forty-five to twenty-eight, like the, the Oklahoma State guy predicted, you have three or four seventeen, eighteen, nineteen point losses. The pendulum probably probably shifts a little bit. Well, we may need to make a change. I mean, eight and four, nine and three. Yeah, you're probably safe. You give the fourth year. It's probably not even a conversation. Six and six, I think, is even kind of tough, depending on how the six and six looks. The seven and five, it really gets tough. Because then you think, well, if we make a change, we may set ourselves back. But if we go forward and then year, then year four is eight and four, what do we do then? You know, so that, the seven and five is, 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 the, is the telltale number. I agree 100%. What do you do? Well, and hey, oh, let, me, let, me throw, yeah. let me throw a doomsday scenario at you that will get your blood pressure up. Let's say we go seven and five. Uh, offense is still the offense. The defense, you know, slugs its way through a five, four loss conference play. And now you lose uh, Gilbert and Maddox because they've been racking up 42 points a game and they go on to their next stage. Uh, now you've got, you've got to replace your offensive coordinator who will turn your offense around and you're sitting at seven and five. You, you want my opinion right now? Mm-hmm. You make a change. You make a change. You can't. You can't allow him to hire another coordinator and go back to like a Watson and screw it up and 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 then screw off the note. You're, I mean, I, I'm I'm done at that point if that happens. I mean, it's bad luck for Charlie, but but I'm 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 done at that point because if he messes that hire up again, well, he's already proven he may not make the right hire. Um, if Maddox or, or either one of them walk, yeah, you, you got you got to pull the trigger then because he may. I guess I guess in. there's the possibility our our guy from. Uh, from Texas high school could slide in. Maybe I know they're trying to groom him for um, yeah. bigger roles. Trailer, trailer takes over. You know, trailer, mm-hmm. trailer maybe is learning the offense, and, and he takes over and, and plays the, you know, and calls the plays or something. Yeah, I, I thought about that scenario. What if, what if Gilbert just gets a great offer in the offseason? I mean, you know, what, you know what, what do we do? So, I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be fascinating. Um, you know, I hope I, – I honestly, I mean, I hope we, we – we go eleven and one. We are, you know, we're ten and two, and and we see some very positive signs, and and this and this train gets back on. Because I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want Strong to fail. Because if he fails, that means our our team is failing, and, and and our university's failing. So I mean, nobody wants that. Now, my final point on this, and I promise we're going to make on though, is one thing that does amaze me in this whole conversation, where you can't even have the conversation with anybody, that it goes crazy. Is, is is they think this is the University of Charlie Strong. Uh, I don't understand the emotional attachment to it. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I, if, if I woke up in the morning, or let's say we got beat, we go up to Oklahoma State, and it's 55-14. We look horrible, and Prane and Finsworth get together Sunday, and they said, man, this sucks. They make a rash decision. I mean, LSU did it, whatever. And we wake up Sunday, and the rumors start coming strong. It's fired Sunday night. I'm not losing one inch of sleep over a coach. I'm going to buckle up, 
drive my ass to Dallas and I'm going to root for the University of Texas against OU and, and, and take the season as it is and get excited for a new coach and move forward. If that coach sucks and they fire him, I don't care. I'm not emotionally attached to a coach. I mean, I'm seeing people lose their minds when you talk in defending strong, and it's like they love him more than they do their own university and their team. And that was my final point. I was going to put you on the spot. Why is that so? I mean, I don't really care. I mean, I want him to succeed. It's better. But if they fire him tomorrow, I could care less. He's just he, well, the coach is coming. I think, I think the, the reason. I think the reason why people. I think the reason why people get frustrated about it is, you know, it is. Look, we've been through it many times. Uh, most teams have, and most fan bases have. Yeah. That it's miserable. I mean, LSU fans right now are miserable. Even if they wanted yeah. Miles fired, there it's a miserable time to be a college football fan when you're going through that. And I think one reason why right now people are upset about those those talks is that honestly, it doesn't really make a hill of beans difference on September 28th even those discussions. I mean, I know we're not making decisions, but, I mean, it yeah. doesn't really serve a purpose because nothing's going to happen until the end of the year. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's just not going to happen. Uh, the LSU thing happened because Les Miles had all kinds of political strife within the university, and, you know, they tried to fire him last year, and he pulled off the coup, which saved him for the next right. few weeks, but it just pissed off the leadership even more because he made them look like a bunch of idiots. Uh, to save himself, which any coach would do. That's fine. Love less miles, but I think the totally unique situation there, and I think that's what people get frustrated about is they're thinking, oh, my God, I'm not going to – I waited all off season for this. Now i got to spend nine weeks talking about what damn coach we're going to bring in and all of this, and I think they just get upset at that more than anything else because what I noticed when we went through the last year at Mac Brown is the exact same thing. You know, people started being really upset about it early in the year as it looked like that's where we were headed, and nobody wanted to talk about it, and they got upset about it. But then by the end of the year, a great majority of those fans had accepted it, and now it was time to accept it because now it's later in the year. We've seen the full body of work. Most reasonable fans, I know there were some knuckleheads that still probably still wish Mac Brown was coach at Texas because uh, they're morons, but, um, you know, those people, they got to accept it. I think no matter what, it's kind of you ride or die with your guy through the year. Um, and then, you know, again, I know that you're just throwing it out there to discuss it, but I think some people just say, I don't even want to talk about it. Tell me, wake me up and thanks that Thanksgiving morning. Uh, and we'll look and see with one game left to where we are. And then we'll have that discussion. Well, and I'm not even talking about the discussion of should he be fired or, or whatever. I'm talking about, if you, I mean, I'd say, I mean, it's got to a point now that the fan base, you're either a Charlie Strong apologist or you're a Charlie Strong hater. There's no middle ground. If you well, that, that, was the up, exact same, that was the exact same way it was with Mac Brown, and that was the exact same way it was with Makovic. Yeah. It, was, it was the exact uh, – people, you're either yes or no, and eventually, again, I think you get a lot of no's or not no's whether to fire them or not, but people that don't even want to discuss it because it's just – it's not the time to do it. It's – we're not even well, worth 25% I mean, I mean, of the season. I'm talking about general. I mean, like punting, like punting when you're down a score with two minutes to go instead of going for it on fourth down. I mean, you can't I – mean, oh, well, you can't even criticize Stronger. You didn't use this timeout. I mean, you can't even say anything. And, and they, I mean, it's just it, – we've reached a point where it's like we're in a rabbit hole, and if you say anything negative, well, Matt Brown left the roster this. We're young. We're this. It's just excuse after. At some point, we got to say well, we got to start winning. 
Mike, Mike, let me introduce you to the world of the internet where in political oh, terms you're either you're either Hitler or you're a communist. I mean, there's no middle <laughs> ground. It's the same it's the it's the same thing uh in sports as well. And I share your frustration on that. I think that you can have a discussion, but uh it's on you know, when people are just vomiting posts on message boards and not really thinking. I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to make people think a little bit. But nobody wants to think on message boards. They want to just call you a name or take one extreme or yeah, the other. And I agree. Right. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think that you should. I am with you that you shouldn't fall into a camp of a supporter of a coach or a hater of a coach. You should be a fan of the university, and you can. Being a fan of the university, you can fall right in the middle. I mean, I, if you asked me to wear a shirt, one says hater, one says fan club founding member, I wouldn't wear either one. Let's see what he's got. We, he's a coach of the university. He's got a job to do. If he does a job well, I'll congratulate him. If I see him at a restaurant in Austin, if he does poorly, I'll uh, not be crying any tears when he's gone, and I'll thank him for his service, and we'll see you, uh, see you down the road. Well, I guess I guess what I'm looking for, and it's probably a false expectation. I'll 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 quote our our good friend on Twitter, WW McClyde. I'm just looking for some altitude from some people. Looking for a little altitude <laughs> in the conversation. I mean, I'm just. I mean, I'm like you. I don't want to. But if you if I say damn strong in the offense, they. I mean, why in the hell we didn't run the ball another 20 times? Oh, you're just a hater. But then if somebody is just criticizing the hell out of strong, I say, oh, hey, take a step back. Do you realize that we, we don't have one offensive lineman, a senior that's worth a damn, and here's the 20 that were on our team that are gone? So, oh, you're just, a strong, you're just a Charlie Strong apologist. So I go back and forth based on the individual game and the situation, and you, you, you're right, you can't even do that. So, well, let's move on to our, um, our first four in. I'll do mine real quick. I, um, um, not much change in mine, a little bit. But obviously Alabama, Ohio State, and this one's going to be settled this week on the field. I've got Clemson and Louisville both in right now. So, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Louisville if the playoffs started today. Oh, man. RDH uh, is going to not be happy with you for having Clemson and Louisville both in right now. I know he gave you grief for that. You're... <laughs> well, you're going to have to pick that game here in a few minutes, so we'll settle that on yeah. the field in a second. Uh, I'm going to exactly. stick with mine. Let's see. Where am I right now? I – uh. Uh, we had Stanford come back to beat UCLA, right? So we're good. Okay, so yeah. I still got Stanford. Yeah. I think I had Louisville in. Uh, I think I put Michigan and Alabama. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's too boring to keep everything the same. So I'm going to mix it up. I am going to uh, – I know this is supposed to be where they are, are right now, but uh, I'm going to take Michigan and Louisville away, and I'm going to replace them uh, with uh, Wisconsin – and Clemson. Okay. Wisconsin is, is playing good football right now. There's no doubt about it. All right. Well, let's jump into some jump into some picks. Uh, we just talked about Washington. They're hosting Stanford. Um, Washington is actually a three-point favorite home, so it's basically a, a, a pick them. Um, man, I just don't know, if, like you said, if Washington is quite ready for this. I think they will play well. Stanford definitely – May have been looking ahead a little bit. They, I mean, they escaped UCLA, and I know how highly you think of UCLA. So uh, I think Washington <laughs> is going to hang around, but I think the physicality of Stanford will, will catch up in the fourth quarter. So I think they're going to eke out a win. I'm going to say Stanford 27, Washington 24. Yeah, that's, 
I'm kind of with you there. Obviously, I got Stanford in my top four, so I can't pick Washington to win. I think it'll be a really fun game to watch. Uh, Washington. It's always fun when you see these teams that are kind of on the rise playing somebody that's been the established power in the conference. Uh, but I'm riding with Stanford until I see otherwise. I will say uh, 27-17 Stanford. Kansas State at West Virginia. West Virginia is about a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, Kansas State has a lot of good things going for them. One thing they do not is I am just not impressed with their quarterback. Uh, West Virginia, I still don't, I still don't know who they really are, but I think they're going to have enough to win this one. I'm going West Virginia 30, Kansas State 21. Yeah, I'm really interested in this one because I honestly haven't had a chance to really watch either team at all. Uh, but K-State seems to be K-State. Uh, watch out, watch out for the Wizard. And in a matchup of the Wizard versus Holgo, uh, give me the Wizard every time. I'm going to say 31 to 27 Kansas State. And let's throw in, since we seem to be a trend in the Big 12 uh, recently, let's say there's going to be some officiating controversy in this game that uh, fires us all up even more and probably gets your favorite subject of realignment talking uh, going strong. West Virginia is going to be pissed after they get hosed by the refs in this one. So I'll make a really oh, detailed God. prediction there. Oh, God. Wonderful. <laughs> um, talking about the Wisconsin Badgers at Michigan. Uh, Michigan is looking really well. Wisconsin with a, just a dismantling of Michigan State. I'm sure their message boards were we're on fire this week. Um, man, Michigan's land is, is ten and a half point favorite. I think Wisconsin's for real, but I, I man, coming off such a, an emotional win, I know Michigan, you know, had a good win um, as well last week. Um, this has been the game that's tough for me. I think it's going to be real close, but I'm, I've got to go with the home team, home team advantage. But it's going to be close. I'm going to go thirty-one thirty, Michigan. All right, I'm going Wisconsin by a field goal, 27-24. I think uh, they play really physical, and so does Michigan, of course, but that's going to be a great matchup. I thought, you know, my new favorite team, Colorado, we got to watch them uh, look really impressive against Michigan uh, when we were at Berkeley until their starting quarterback went out. And uh, I think they may have shown that Michigan isn't ready to be a top-five team just yet. So I'm going to take Wisconsin by a field goal. In the playoff final four, Louisville at Clemson. Um, Louisville is actually a two-point road favorite, and I'm going to go with Louisville. Um, I like Deshaun Watson. I like Clemson. They Last week they finally started to look like Clemson, but Louisville just has a certain look to them. They completely dismantled Florida State. I think Florida State was way overrated. This is going to be a shootout, but I'm going to go Louisville 44, Clemson 38. Yeah, I was astonished when I saw this line. I think Clemson opened as a one-point favorite, and the public has set this all the way to Louisville. What did you say it was, two, two two and a half? I don't know where Uh, it was on the line. Two. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, Louisville, nothing, taking nothing away from them, but my God, they're going to go to Clemson, Death Valley on a Saturday night, and Clemson's defense is by far the best thing that Louisville's seen all year, Uh, and I think Clemson's going to, I, I don't know that I'm sold on Clemson just yet as being in the Final Four. I mean, uh, I mean, I think I think they're a Final Four team, but uh, I haven't seen it consistently yet. They started the year a little bit slow, but I like them to 
take apart Louisville under the lights. I'm going to say 38-24 Clemson. Tennessee and Georgia, man, what a job by Tennessee last week. Got down 21 nothing and just stormed back against Florida. Georgia got completely dismantled by Old Miss. Georgia's um, fans are really going to be upset after this. I think Tennessee may be starting to hit their stride. Usually a game like that when you're down and out um, and you're done for the season um, and, and you come back like that, it could really springboard you into something. I think that's exactly what Tennessee does. I'm going to go Tennessee 34, Georgia 17. Yeah, I got to watch Georgia Ole Miss on Saturday, and I'll tell you what, man, Ole Miss made Georgia look like Georgia Southern. I mean, they were no match for for Ole Miss in that game, and it got a little bit closer late just because the game was over at halftime. Uh, That's alarming. I think Georgia's going to be – I wouldn't want to be a Georgia player in practice this week. I'll just put it that way. Uh, so I think they'll show some fight, but I didn't see anything from them that makes me think they can turn it around that fast. So give me uh, Tennessee 28, Georgia 21. All right, second to last game, the Oklahoma Sooners at TCU. Um, I've got to pick the Sooners here. Um, I think, you know, they're they're, they're one and two. Um, they're really, their backs are against the wall. Um, TCU is, I, I just don't, their defense is just not good. I mean, I just, I mean, both these teams are, are pretty evenly matched, but I, I like Oklahoma just a little bit. So I'm going to say Oklahoma 34, TCU 24. Yeah, what's weird about TCU is I look at the, their offensive stats. Kenny Hill's putting up numbers, but they're just not scoring. Uh, like they no. should be with the stats they're putting up. And, you know, I think they were 6-3 or 13-3 with SMU at halftime, which they cannot afford to do that against OU. Uh, I'm not sold on either one of these teams right now, but I'm with you. I think OU's got their backs against the wall. They're certainly not looking ahead to Texas OU because they can't, and this is a hugely important game. So uh, hopefully for our sake it's a very physical, draining triple overtime game, but uh, I don't think it goes that long. I think OU dispatches with TCU. I'm going to say 34-17 Sooners. Texas at Oklahoma State. I'm scared of it, so I'm going to let you go first, Matt. (laughs) Well, I mean, okay, so I was really confident in my pick until I started listening to uh, our guest earlier because uh, I just (laughs) – I, I feel like – I know Oklahoma State definitely could have put up more points in basically all of their games and turnovers have hurt them. But when turnovers have hurt you in four straight games, it makes you wonder whether turnovers are something that's just going to be something you live with for the rest of the year. Uh, now that becomes a big challenge because Texas doesn't seem interested in forcing any turnovers. So to me that's where the game is, is won or lost is does Texas te- step up and not only play better – but also make something happen somewhere. You know, does Hager get to the quarterback and force a sack? Does the secondary get some interceptions? I mean, get your hand on the ball at least. I want to see our defense touch the football at some point, uh, whether it's a deflection or an interception or something. Um, but I I actually feel like the total of 71.5 is way too high. I feel, regardless of what you saw in the Cal game, I think the Texas defense is the best defense Oklahoma State has seen so far this year, and I think vice versa is also true. The Oklahoma State defense is the best one we've seen by far. Uh, you think about Notre Dame, UTEP, Cal, we haven't played a defense with a hill of beans yet, 
so I expect this to be under the 71 and a half, uh, and I'm going to take Texas to escape with a 30 to 27 victory. All righty. What am I going to do here? I don't trust the Charlie Strong coach team on the road at all. My brain says pick Oklahoma State. Common sense says pick Oklahoma State. But, of course, sometimes you don't use common sense. I, 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 that's the way I feel, too. I think, I think, the, I think the team remembers the, the, giving the game back to them last week, I mean last year, we had them beat at home. Um, for, for whatever reason, there's been two teams that, even though the last two years we haven't been very good, that a Charlie Strong defense has played well against, and that's both the Oklahoma schools. Oklahoma State, no you. There's something about the that we that he just gets the team ready to play. I think our backs are against the wall. I think Strong knows mm-hmm. how important this stretch is getting ready to be. Um, I'm right there with you. I'm saying Texas 30, Oklahoma State 27. Oh, exact same. That's, that, yeah, that's guaranteed. Exactly that, got, it's guaranteed to happen. That's exactly what I have typed down on my Word document. I changed it like three or four times today. I was at thirty-four, thirty, thirty-one, twenty-eight. I think it's going to be so. But now I do have a little asterisk beside that. If we win, <laughs> I really think that's the type of game it's going to be. If it does get in a, in a shootout and our defense plays like it does against Cal. I can absolutely see the game going how Cade, um, how Cade picked it. I can see it get them getting one or two stops. Um, Mason uh, Rudolph hitting a couple big plays, and next thing you know, we're down two or three scores, and then it's over. So it would not surprise me if that happened. But I really think um, I think we're going to step up and get a win, and then have some momentum going into OU. And, and then hopefully four or five weeks from now, we'll look back on this game and say it was a game that turned the season in a positive way. Because we did. If we don't. We could look back four or five weeks from now and say that was a game that really started the end of the era for Charlie Strong. So, with that said, Matt, we're about four or five minutes, four minutes over. Um, that ain't too bad. A lot, lot, man, we covered a lot tonight, but tell the listeners where they can find you. Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter at UT Tailgaters. UT Tailgaters, no spaces, no hyphens. We'll be up and early, Bloody Mary in hand, to watch hopefully a uh, well-earned and important road victory Saturday. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank Cade again, uh, Cade Webb from the Cowboy Rides for Free site. Get over there and check their stuff out. They've got some good articles um, um, in general about Oklahoma State, some good stuff about the Oklahoma State-Texas matchup. Again, those are good guys over there. Um, they love their team like we love ours, but they're they're just they're just awesome people. They they've been real good to the Orange Report, and I always appreciate them um, coming on. So thanks, Kate, again. Thanks, Cowboy Rides for free. Um, always remember the eyes of Texas are upon you. Hook them. We'll see you next week. And Matt, since um, last week you tweeted something about 1990s music, I went way back in the 90s to get this one. We'll see you next week, Longhorn fans. Mm-hmm.